Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor, Michael Norman. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. What do you say on a day like today? All right. That's one thing, right? So you know what? We're, in fact, we're going to say that with passion because what do we believe? That this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So we're going to say it like we mean. Would you stand with me as we say this together? Pastor Rick, we have said for years here, for 10 years, that today is a good day. And, uh, and it's kind of been our tag for the last 10 years. And so I want us to say it one last time together, and I want us to mean it in our hearts that this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Are you ready? Today is a good day. Father, let your blessings be upon this congregation. As the word goes forth, let it, Lord, penetrate our hearts, God, and let us serve you passionately, Lord, because there's nothing better than knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Guys, I've been really honest over the last 10 years about how sermon prep has gone for the different sermons. There are times where it has just flowed out and has been easy as there's something bubbling in me for this congregation. There have been times where I've told, been honest, that there's been a Saturday night change because as I've preached it one last time in front of the mirror that I thought, man, you know what? I feel like I need to change this right here and I've changed portions of it right at the last minute. Then there's been times I've been really honest that, man, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to anybody else, right? And so it's like you, something in scripture just is, is hitting you and impacting you. And you're thinking, man, this is as much to me as it is to us. So let me tell you what God is doing in me. And then there's times where I've told you, man, this was a hard Sunday to prep for. This was a hard Sunday to get ready for. I've told you that over the years, different times. And today was really one of those days. It was one of those sermons that I knew was coming, and, and we've had guests speaking the last few weeks, and so like, what do I speak on a day like this? What do we say? What do you say about a dream that was burning in your heart for years and years and years? What do you say about the shift that didn't surprise God, but surprised us that God knew about all along? A shift of passion and desire and a shift in the heart. What do you say about those things? What do you say when the pastor that you believe that God has called to replace you is sitting on the front row and you're chomping at the bit to hand it to them and allow them to speak what God is placing on their heart for the next season? What do you say when their parents are in the room and, and, and they are both fruitful ministry families? Pastor Lauren's family is in Pastors of Mesquite and then one of our denominational officials is sitting here in the room. Our denomination, our, our ministry body, uh, has about 13,000 churches in, a, in the U.S. and about, about 3 million members. And then internationally, our denomination has about 370,000 churches and not, uh, 69 million members. So what do you say when one of our denominational officials is sitting in the room 
What do you say on a day like today? What do you say when when there are massive relational shifts that are going to happen? Maybe on a day like today, you, want to, you're, you feel a tendency to want to talk about the past. And when you talk about the past, there's several ways to look at it. One is on the sentimental side. And when you talk about the past, and I, see, uh, I sit here and I see my daughters on the front row, and I remember that as the first four years as a church, that we sat up and we tore down every week. We pulled this giant trailer up to the Dallas Children's Theater. And those of you who were here in that era, I saw you shaking your head with cringing on the inside. But I remember our daughters, we made them set the nursery up every Sunday morning. And they were little. They were kindergarten and third and fourth grade. And we made them set the nursery up every week. And they were like, Dad, do we have to do it? And that I would look at them and I would say, girls, this is what Normans do. We serve in our local church, whether we're pastoring or not pastoring. This is what Normans do. We, set, we serve in our local church. So yes, you're going to set the nursery up again today. We can talk about the sentimental side that I've watched them grow up in this church with this body, with people loving them, and that they love God with their whole hearts. And that I'm so unbelievably proud of all three girls. If we talk about the past on a day like today, we could talk about the relational side. We could talk about how that there were many of you here on launch day, the Barta family and Betsy going through life transition showed up on launch Sunday and how the Sobers were here and many of you showed up right after launch day and, the, and just the life we've shared together. I could talk about my men's connection group over the last 18 months and how we have become brothers in the faith on so many levels. I could talk about the Lockets and the Adams who we have worked hours upon hours upon hours behind the scenes, cleaning the setup, cleaning during construction. We could talk about the relational side on things you would never see. Last minute calls on Saturday night. Hey, Jason, can you move the lights to like this? And he's like, yes. I know it's 1030 at night, but we got a big day tomorrow. Can you? Yes, I will do it. We could talk about the early days of setup. We could talk about the relational side to where over the last month we have baptized multiple children in our baptistry tank who were born in the last 10 years in this church. And that they made a decision to follow God and serve the Lord and we were able to baptize them. So we dedicated them on this stage and years later we're baptizing them in the tank. We could talk about the relational side of the past. We could talk about how some of you in the past that you weren't even followers of Christ, but you thought you'd come and check out service, and then you came to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We could talk about the relational shifts that could happen, that are going to happen. And in talking about the past, we could possibly talk about the past in regards to praise reports. And things that we just say, God, you are so good. We can talk about over the last 10 years how this church has sent from this congregation 10 occupational full-time missionaries around the world. 
We could talk about how those sitting in these seats right here are the ones funding them to go and to reach the lost. And I want to read to you the locations where, where they're at, where you are sending them. We've sent them to Bolivia, Guadalajara, Honduras, Duke University, Chi Alpha, Tangiers, Oman, Bangkok, Thailand, Jordan, Egypt, that we've sent them around the world, reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. We could go on and talk about those out of our church who've given a year or extended, uh, extended mission trips of, of, of two months, six months, 12-month terms in addition to the full-time occupational ministry ministers that have come out, come out of our congregation. We could talk about the pastor in Cleveland, Mississippi, who's out of Grace Hill. We could talk about the worship pastor in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, who's out of Grace Hill, who the first time he sang a worship song, I told the worship team, don't ever let him sing again. <laughs> don't let him sing again. Only for him to grow and become our worship leader only for him then to grow and be at a large church in Sioux Falls. If we're going to talk about the relational side, we could talk about the dozens upon dozens who've made a profession of faith, who've come into Grace Hill, who've made a profession of faith, who've been discipled, and then when it came time to buy a house or raise a family, they moved out to the suburbs, and they're still serving the Lord in the suburbs and the cities in which they've gone to. I'm telling you, we have populated the suburbs with young families who've come to faith and are serving the Lord passionately. That was hard to see every one of them go. But as I followed up over the last six months with them and to see them serving in their church today, it makes me proud of this congregation and what we've sent out. So what do you say on a day like today, guys? What do you say? And that was what was going over in my heart uh, over and over and over. I just couldn't get past. What do I say on a day like today? Maybe we want to talk about God's faithfulness. Then a transition of an urban setting that there have been churches over the last 10 years, established churches that have not survived. And we've watched them close their doors. That we've watched six or eight other church plants come in and close their doors. We've watched other vibrant church plants that have not yet been able to buy facilities. And yet God has provided this for us. We could talk about God's faithfulness and his supernatural faithfulness to provide for us to start the church 10 years ago as he provided financially and and then the ability to buy this facility and to pay cash for the remodel that happened uh, uh, six years, going on almost six years ago. So today we're going to go probably a bit back and forth in the message, but ultimately we're going to get to the point that I want you to capture about God and what he has for us today in this season, in this transition and what he has for our future. So walk with me as I kind of still wrestle with what would God want us to say? I thought maybe he would want us to talk out of second Timothy chapter two or, or second Timothy chapter four, where it says this. But keep your head in all situations, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, discharge the duties of your ministry, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time of my departure is near. I fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And I thought maybe, just maybe that's what I'm supposed to speak on, but then I began to realize that Paul was about to die when he's leaving and guys, I've got a lot of life left. 
So let's not go with that one just yet. I've got a few years, I hope, for that. Thought, what about 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where it says that do you uh, not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets a prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Underline that verse in your, or that portion in your notes. Run as such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone who runs aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike blow to my body to make it my slave, to bring it into submission, so that after I've preached to others, I will not myself be disqualified from the prize. Run to win. Man, what a powerful thought. I don't think it fit my heart for today. Maybe we could say 2 Timothy chapter 2 where it says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things I have heard you, that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete doesn't do it to receive the victor's crown, or they don't receive a victor's crown unless they're competing according to the rules. So I think that's a great verse, and that verse will preach all day long, but I don't think that's it either. So as I kind of narrowed it down today, I feel like I'm landing on Psalms chapter 78 as the last passage for today. And this whole idea of passing the baton. Do you know this whole idea of passing the baton goes all the way back to 776 BC where they were preparing for the Olympics and they developed a race where the runners would pass this hollow cylinder, one runner to the next. And they would pass this on and it has been continued on in races ever since. Passing the baton, truthfully, it sounds incredibly easy. But in the heat of the moment, in the heat of battle, in the heat of competition, it can be an incredibly tough thing to do. That when you enter into the Olympics, they've been training for four years to pass the baton. Some have been training a lifetime to take this hollow cylinder and to hand it to the next person running the race. And it sounds like this incredibly easy thing to do, but again, in the heat of battle, it becomes incredibly difficult. And in fact, in the Rio Olympics just a few years ago, the U.S. 4 by 100 meter relay team was predicted to easily win because their four racers were faster than just about any other four racers that were there for the for for the competition for the olympics and yet as they went they were expected to win and they were leading the race and they went to hand the baton to the next uh leg and they dropped the baton and were disqualified For some reason, they allowed them to run the race again, and in running the race again, they kept the baton, they kept it in hand, they passed it one leg to the next, and they ended up qualifying for the finals, and in the finals, they won the gold medal. And really, that's the first thing that we see is in any uh, relay race is to don't drop the baton, hang on to the baton, value the baton. Don't, we don't run and keep it loosely in our hands. We don't put it in our back pocket, that we don't toss it around. We don't throw it, that value the baton because once you drop the baton, that you are disqualified. And here we're saying we want to pass it on well. And I believe that's what we're doing today is that we're valuing valuing this thing that God has placed in our lives, all of us, all of us in this room, 
We are valuing what God has placed in our lives and we are handing the baton purposely, passionately, and carefully so that there is not a lull, but there's a launch. There's not a pause, but there's a propel that we are valuing this moment in which God has entrusted us with in this organization and this family that God has placed us in. Value the baton. And if the baton is that important in a race in which you win a crown that will tarnish, how much more valuable is it for us here today in the church to pass the baton in a healthy way? In a relay race, you get to pass the baton. You practice thousands of times to pass the baton. In a church, you get one shot. Today, we're going to do it right. Peter Wendell writes on business, and he says this in regards to business. He says, you might have great people in both generations. The generation that's in charge, that's about to retire, and in the generation that's coming up, that's sharp young leaders. He said, but both generations. But if you can't pass the baton from one generation to the next, then your organization is toast. And so for us in the church, as we're talking about passing the baton of faith, as we're talking about passing the gospel to our children, as we're talking about passing the gospel to our college campuses, as we're talking about passing the gospel to our teenagers, that we have to pass it well, that we might have sharp young ones following us, sharp children, but if we can't pass them the baton, we miss the point. And in the same way, we have to pass it well here. And if it's true in business, how much more is it important in the church? church to pass the baton well so that our children they don't just know a religion and they don't just know the rules and they just don't know the regulations but they know God and that in the church that it's real for us and it's it's passionate for us in the church and if it's real for us we have to pass the baton well so that it's real to them as well does that make sense like, I don't want my children to be religious. I don't care if they're religious. I want them to know God in this passionate relationship. And I don't care if we're ever good or not good at ceremony, as long as we're good at discipleship. That we're passing this on. So I want us to read Psalm 78, 1 through 7. We'll go through this relatively quickly. Verse 1, it says, Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I love what the psalmist is saying here. He says, I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter hidden things, things from old, what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children. Instead, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy things of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he's done. He decreed statues for Jacob, and he established the law of Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach to their children. So the next generation would know them, and even the generation yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then, it's then means as a result of passing it from one generation to the other, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but they would keep his commands. 
In Hebrew culture, it was rooted in this whole idea of passing their faith from one generation to the next. And they were incredibly good at it. And I want us to look again at verse 6. We're going to read verse 6 a couple of times. But verse 6 says this, So the next generation would know them, and even the children yet to be born... So we have in this church, we have Jenny Laurie who is about to have a baby. So it's saying even the generation yet to be born would know those things so they would pass them to their children. And then today, we were, I was walking in the auditorium and Brittany was walking out of the auditorium and we hit the door at the same time and it scared her and she goes, thank God I'm not nine months pregnant, I would have had the baby right now. I thought, you think you're happy? I'm happy. But even their children yet to be born, that we're going to teach this so that even their children will follow God. Right here in this verse is where we learn the first key of passing the baton well. Leaving a legacy for future generations. So if you're taking notes today, write this down. Number one, legacies are passed through relationships. Legacies are passed through relationships. In fact, there is a term in the Bible that was Shema, and it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it's a Hebrew word that means to hear. And it says this, hear, Shema, to hear, O Israel, what the Lord your God, uh, the Lord is one. The Lord your God, with, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. Talk about them when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Basically what this verse is saying is that parents, every single moment in life is a teachable moment. Every single moment in life is this teachable moment to pass the baton to your children, to pass the faith. And so whether you have children or not, there is a legacy of faith to be passed on through relationships. And the truth is that some of you in this room need to jump into relationships in order to pass on your faith. That you have this deep love for God, but it's really that you're keeping it to yourself. And that as you truly begin to understand God's love for us and his sacrifice for us, as you truly begin to understand the Holy Spirit's empowerment in our life, that it leads us to action, to sharing our faith. And, though, and, and that what it leads us to is jumping into relationships or, or leveraging the relationships that we have in order to pass the baton of faith. That it compels us to do this. And some of us need to get involved relationally because you impress people from a distance, but you impact them up close. That if you go to the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall, it's really this incredible sight. That you will see fathers and sons standing side by side, or one, this father behind the son, and you will see them praying with their sons. And as you look down at a section of floor that's been excavated down to Solomon's temple, the original first temple, dating back to the 10th century BC, you'll see fathers passing it down one generation to another. And the legacy is built on a foundation of relationships. So the legacy that you pass on to your children is through relationships. But today, we're talking about the church. 
And the legacy that we pass on as a church, the legacy of faith that we pass on to others will be those that we work with and those that we hang out with and those that we befriend that is never done through a boss-employee type relationship. It's done relationally to where we're saying that in this house that I have grown, in this place that God has done something incredible in me, and what I'm going to do is pass it on by building relationships and sharing the love of God that has been shared with me. And in the, in the context of relationships here, it's a matter of knowing and being known, loving and being loved, teaching and teaching others, that it's this whole context that we are going to engage in relationships and pass on what has been passed to us. Now, ultimately, that person has to make the decision, but we're going to pass what God has done for us and tell what God has done. So the first thing that we see is legacy is passed through relationship. The second thing that I want to understand today is this, is that legacy is passed through stories. Legacies are passed on through stories. Psalm 78, 1 through 4 says, hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things from old. We have heard what we have heard and what we have known, what our fathers told us. We will not hide from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord and his power and the wonder that he has done. Do you know what parables are? Parables are stories of everyday life that teach us about God's calling on our own lives. And the psalmist who wrote Psalm 78 is saying, hey, listen to the stories. Listen to the things that our fathers told us. He's saying, I'm going to tell to you what's been told to me. Because stories are a powerful way to remember and to recount and to relay truth. I used to love it as I would put the girls down at night. They would say, Daddy, tell us a story. And I would tell them stories, and some of it would be about our family. Some of it would be about the vacation we took a year before where we had so much fun. Or sometimes it would be about, uh, about whatever. But stories would pass on this truth. They would relay a truth as we would tell them stories, because stories, are, stories are, have incredible value. Sometimes I would tell them what a blessing they were from the Lord. And we'd tell them the story of how we prayed for them and how God gave them to us. And we would tell them stories. My point is this, is that tell the stories of what God has done in your life. Let me say that all across the room. Tell the stories of what God has done in your life. And once you have told the stories, tell them again. And 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 tell them again. Tell them over and over and over again. Tell the stories of what God has done in your life. Tell the stories. In fact, I want you to tell the stories as what God has done as a church. And there's a reason why we tell the stories. But I want you to tell the stories about the 10 different people as missionaries around the world. I want you to tell the stories about God's provision for this church. Of how before we ever bought a building, someone gave us $200,000 to be used for a building. 
I want you to tell the stories in your own life of how God has ministered to you or he's healed you or how God has changed you. In fact, in pre-service prayer, Greg stands up and he offers Thanksgiving and he says, God, I was one of those who didn't know you, but I got a mailer in the mail and I came to church and I'm so grateful for what you've done in my heart. He's telling the story of a life changed and now he serves and he teaches and he teaches our kids and Grace kids. And I'm telling you, his family and his life is different. Tell the story of what God has done. Tell the stories of what God has done. And here's the beautiful thing. As we told, as you guys know, we helped to plant a church in College Station. And as we told the story about the $200,000, $200,000, we told it over and over. Do you know what happened to Mountain Valley Church in the last nine months? Is that they had two different people give them checks for $100,000 to go towards facilities. And the church we helped plant has $200,000 sitting in their bank account to buy a facility to be able to move forward. Tell the story because who knows what faith that will inspire in the next generation so that they can believe for even greater things. Legacies are passed down through stories. Tell the stories of what happened in your life. Why? Why do we want to tell the story and tell it again? Because we never need to forget that God not only worked in the time of the Bible, but he's working in hearts and lives today. That we don't need to think that, oh, God did the miraculous then, but he's not doing it now. No, God is doing the miraculous now. No, you talk about physical healing. Some of you in this room, you've experienced the healing of God. Tell the story. That we don't need to forget that God provided in the times of Scripture, but he provides today. That God changes hearts in the time of Scripture, and he changes hearts today. So why do we tell the stories? To remember that God is still at work in our lives. Amen? God is still at work in our lives. And when we tell the stories of what God did, that we begin to see what God is doing, and it prepares our hearts for what God wants to continue to do as we move forward in him. As we tell the stories, man, faith rises up to say, man, that matches up with Scripture. That matches up with the character of God in the Bible. That matches up with who he was in Scripture. And if he worked like that then, and we see him working now, then what does he want to do as we move forward? I want you to tell the stories. That he's still doing the miraculous today. But listen. I want you to tell the stories, but I never want you to get caught in the past. Because we celebrate what God has done, but we don't stay there. We move forward. Does that make sense? That we celebrate and we are grateful for what God has done, but we want to move forward. And I want to tell you that God has an amazing future for you as individuals and for you as a church. That God has an amazing future for this house and for this place. That great days are ahead. And I want, and I want with all of my heart for you to jump in with Pastors Ryan and Lauren. And I want you to jump in with what God is speaking to their hearts. And hopefully in your prayer time you are hearing the same thing. And I, whatever analogy you want to use. I want you to get in the boat and I want you to row in sync with what they are doing. And I want you, if you're a runner, I want you to run beside them to where they're not having to turn around and pull but they are running and you are there supporting and you're running with them and you're marching together as the army of God taking new ground for the kingdom 
Because though we celebrate our past and we tell those stories and we thank God for what he did, I'm telling you the best days are still ahead. So jump in with where God is taking. Legacy. Parents, let's go back to families just for a moment. What's the average number of minutes that the average parent spends in meaningful conversation with their children? 3.5 minutes a week. What's the average number of minutes that a child watches TV a week? 1,680. So who's passing the baton to our children? So let's bring it back to the church. I encourage you to get involved in Grace Kids. Teach the young children at their level of understanding. Teach the Grace Kids at their level of understanding. So someone else is investing in their life and partnering with the family and teaching them to follow Jesus with everything inside of them. Passing the baton to the next generation. It comes so many layers and tears. And the last thing that I want to talk about today in regards to Psalm 78 on this Sunday is what will your legacy be? So we're talking about legacy. What will your legacy be? A legacy leads somewhere. A legacy is a path for those who come behind us. That's what a legacy is, is that we have people who, who blazed a trail and they opened up things in regards to civil rights, in regards to women's rights, in regards to lots of things. There are people that blazed a trail and that's the legacy because it creates a path for someone to come behind. In Psalm 78, it says, Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. The legacy that we're wanting to pass on as Grace Hill, the legacy that we want as individuals, each one of us, that what we want as individuals in this room, is a legacy that's passed on and that people would put their trust in God. So what are we doing to pass the baton? My first full-time job in ministry was in Lufkin, Texas. And that there was a family that had been there, and I came on to staff with a children's pastor who had been on staff for years. And I learned a story that one of my teenagers in my youth group, one of my leaders, his father was named Hal Greer. Hal had invited a man by the name of Steve to come to church. Steve, on that Sunday, ends up, he gets up from about halfway down on the outside aisle, he walks the aisle, comes to the front, and gives his heart to Jesus. And listen to this, Pastor Rick. For the next six months, every day after work, Hal would leave his work, he would follow Steve home, meet Steve at his house, and lead him in a Bible study, an hour Bible study, every day for six months. Steve's wife came to faith. They grew in the Lord. And several years later, the church hired them as the children's pastors. As children's pastors at the church for 24 years, they discipled both of Hal's children. They discipled hundreds of children. They were amazing at their job. But Hal created a legacy by every day doing a Bible study for six months. How many of you in the room are familiar with Billy Graham? 
Everybody knows Billy Graham, the most well-known modern-day evangelist in our country. But I want to ask you a question. How did Billy Graham come into relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, Billy Graham was in a revival meeting led by Mordecai Ham, and that's how he came to faith. Well, then how did Mordecai Ham come to know Jesus? Well, he came to Christ in a revival service led by Billy Sunday, a famous evangelist uh, from a past generation. Well, then how did Billy Sunday come to know Christ? That he came to know Christ in a revival service led by J. Wilbur Chapman. Well, how did J. Wilbur Chapman come to know Christ? Is that he was led to Christ by none other than the famous Dwight L. Moody. How did D.L. Moody come to know Christ? D.L. Moody came to know Christ in a Sunday school class led by a man named Edward Kimball. Now, if you search all of these names that I just told you about, you can find them all. You can find articles about them, books about them, pictures of them, all of them except Edward Kimball. You can't find a photograph, an article, anything about Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was just an everyday guy who taught a Sunday school class who led D.L. Moody to the Lord as an adult shoes salesman. As an adult who sold shoes. Isn't that amazing? The legacy of Edward Kimball, just an everyday guy teaching Sunday school, has come all the way down to Billy Graham who has helped to shape the moral fabric of our country. You see, a legacy creates a path for others to follow. And today, in a room this size, there are some of you that need to start the legacy by turning to Jesus. Of saying, you know what, I need to cross that line of faith and I need to become a follower of him. Maybe some in here that you say, you know what, I haven't been following Jesus closely and I need to turn that by by making the decision to fully embrace Christ, come back to Christ. And maybe for others that the Lord is asking for you to be one who passes on the spiritual legacy. Today, who are you passing the torch to? Who are you handing the baton to? Who are you handing it to? When are you handing it to them? How are you handing it to them? That there is a baton to be passed. And I want to press into this personally and corporately for us today that look God has a plan for your life God has a purpose for you and so it is imperative for us to be obedient to that and to press in and to leave a legacy that others can follow and Pastor Ryan is called to be the leader of this church, Pastor Ryan and Lauren, and they are called to be the leaders to capture the vision, to move forward. But I want you to capture this. It's in your notes today. The vision is as much the responsibility of the membership as it is the ministers. We don't use the term members here. We use partners. So the, the vision of the church, God's vision of the church is as much the responsibility of the partners as it is the pastor. So what that means is that we hear from God and we move forward and we embrace God's call and we are working towards leaving a legacy with our children or with our every sphere of influence that we live in. And so today, what are you doing to pass the torch, to pass the baton to the next generation? The question I want to ask is, will you take the baton and will you run with it? Will you take the baton and will you run with it?
And second of all, will you pass it to the next generation? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.